Lord, we thank you for the day you have given us, day of worship, day of rest, where we can come, worship together as a church. May you be with us in our classes, in our Sunday worship, as we try to please you, Lord. Help us glorify you in everything we do. Amen. Okay, so sorry about that. I'm not going to be using the presentation today. Minor hiccup. Last time I used a PC. But yeah, it was uh, the last presentation she was going to give before getting retired. She was retired with no flying colors, I guess. So, again, I'm going to be doing uh, the last part of uh, what was called Culture of Wolves, War, War on Men. I was going to... I was studying so we can so I can produce the second part, which would be war on women. But I'll, I had a lot of critique coming from other brothers, listening to my my other two Sunday schools. They they said that I was going too fast in the last part, that I was uh, just uh, sounded like Speedy Gonzalez. I'm like that was very racist of you, but okay. I'm glad you guys laughed, because if not, you need a little bit more gravitas. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to try to slow it down a little bit and go through the solutions in a more condensed way, because I think it was all beat and no light at the end of the tunnel. So let's continue with that. But let's do a recap. Sorry, Ms. Videli, you could have certainly sit, sat on your chair comfortably knowing that I won't be able to produce it. But let's, uh, let's continue. So what are some of the wolves that we talked about that are prowling within the churches? This is a general idea. It, it, it didn't mean to be exhaustive. It is more directed to men than to any other thing within the church. But what are some of those things that were... Around, surrounding us, ambushing us. Somebody mentioned just one, or just an idea of one. Oh, he, the Savior. <laughs> so, what are one or one of the wolves that are prowling, surrounding, ambushing the church right now in our day and age that you can remember? So if we can encompass that, it will be war on sexuality. Because you can get whatever you want, quick, from the menu. I don't like this lady. Pass. I haven't been to the dating app. I've been married before that, but thank God. But it is a la carte and menu where you scroll down and I don't like this woman or this man and continue. War, it's against biblical Sexuality. What else can we remember? War against biblical patriarchy. Can you guys remember that? That we flinched. We don't like that word. They have, we have heard is like just cursing or cussing in the church because we've been through bad fathers. That's certainly the case. I mean, we all have been. Um, we're not so perfect fathers like we all have, 
But there is a, such a term as a biblical patriarchy. And what is a patriarchy? It's a father rule. But it's a good father rule. Right? We see that as a toxic thing now. Biblical sexuality, biblical masculinity. Has anyone here heard about the term Jim Shads? No? Jim Shad is this muscle guy who is the just a representation of what it means to be masculine. In reality, it's just a bad example. But in truth, there's some light coming through it. All men should take care of their bodies. Right? Did I saw your hand? No? Okay. And to finish the sherry on top is hierarchies. We detest that word. What do we say? How did Satan took the hierarchy that he did on Eden and turn it upside down? Someone remember that? I thought that was pretty interesting. How Mr. Foster, just a simple truth that we read all the time, but it's hard to put on pictures or we just skip, skim through it. Oh, Adam sin, Eve sin, they were kicked out. But what happened there? So basically, if you remember... Men, God, men, woman, nature, right? Animals, what happened to that? Eliminated God. Men became God. The animal gave counsel to the woman, and the woman gave counsel, gave counsel to God, right? So it was an inverted pyramid. Do we see that now? One thing that I've, uh, I've, always like to think when I'm taking a decision um, or thinking of decisions I've taken in the past with my wife coming here to, uh, from, from Puerto Rico being one of the biggest decision, decisions we've, we've made, it's uh, how I took that decision. How, how I'm, I'm counseling now a brother who's trying to move here, and it's if you, you are the one who's going to take the decision, but if your wife is not on board is going to be hell. If she doesn't like the idea, she will come. But every time there's a space where she can critique it, she will. So what have those toxicities that we see now produce in the church? The church effeminate. Church effeminate. What is the church effeminate? Have you seen an effeminate church? I certainly have been part of one. Not this one, rest assured. <laughs> but I've been part of one. Yes, Mr. Vidali? What you're doing, Shakespeare, I would say one thing. You've got to remember that back with Adam, Adam forsook the male leadership. He certainly did. Let me, let me add to that, which is certainly true. It's, uh, men are crazy. They, we love to relinquish responsibility. If we are able not to do it, we are going to give away that responsibility. And I've worked a lot like in IT, strangely, in Puerto Rico, I was under women all the time. They were, I think from the two or three jobs that I had in IT in Puerto Rico, where I was always under women. Not bad jobs at all, and they were not bad bosses. 
But it is certainly that they love taking responsibility. As we as men, we relinquish. So the Church of Feminine strives to, <clears throat> sorry, to include agreeable, agreeableness regardless of error. Have you seen this in church? Where it doesn't matter, this doctrine doesn't matter at all. Just come and we're going to hold you by your hand and whatever. Don't, don't, don't just, just don't make truthful claims that would hurt anybody. And they strive to include anyone disagreeable regardless of orthodoxy. I certainly be being part of that too and being kicked out of that too. Um, so if we have seen this, it is the fault of the church. The effeminate church is what a church, how it should be, have created by making a retreat and abandoning our responsibility. We're not there. This, the churches have become, become um, clubs where we tailor to certain tastes, where we do monthly gatherings for potlucks and whatnot, but nobody in your community knows you're a Christian. You haven't spoken about Jesus in a long time, since you don't want to offend and whatnot. So let's continue just for the sake of time. But some of the solutions. What do you think is the, the biggest problem, or the let's say solution, what is the biggest solution for a man to have in his life right now? First thing that comes up in your mind. Yes. What else? Let's, let's make an assumption that we are all Christians and that this is directed to Christians. What else are we missing in our families? Fathers. We're missing fathers. And I will make this a very hard point that I've, I've grown with a father, but my father not being, I come from a non-believing Christian, non-believing family, there's certain parts of my life after knowing Christ that I've had nowhere to look at for wisdom or counsel. So, if fathers, we all here, I hope, I see a lot of, a lot of fathers taking agency in their houses. I've never seen anything outside the OPC where there was so much emphasis on Family worship, which is great. And I learned it in the OBC. I learned it in the Presbyterian church that this is important. So I, I, didn't, grow, I didn't grow with that. My, my wife, I, I was not a pastor of my, of my family because I, I didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't have anyone to talk to me. This is the way you should do it. You have to sit down every day. You have to, this is how you be a man and a godly man. Because my father certainly could teach me how to be a man. But a godly man is certainly something completely different. So no one is born a man in the sense of manlyhood. I am in gender, yes, I am a man. But to be a man is certainly another thing. I've seen men that resemble women. And they've not done necessarily 
are transgender or what we call them now. But certainly you can look at them and say, yeah, I don't want to be that man. We are not born fathers. We have a lot of bad fathers. And we are not born patriarchs. I certainly didn't, coming again from a matriarchal society like the island is. So, to achieve this, a man needs love and discipline of a father to guide him. And again, I will use my example not to use anyone else. But I remember the first time a godly father figure entered my life to the point where I still reminisce to that time. And I still think of the conversation. We ended up like Paul and Barnabas just splitting up for certain differences. But I talk to him still. But I, and I am very, very thankful for God to put in this man in my life where he brought me up, he discipled me, and taught me how to be a man. And this was late in my life, I would say. I was probably 24, 25. I had a quarter of, uh, of a century already passed. Don't let them tell you you are young. That is a mistake. You are not young. Every day you get older. There's a lot of things you can do with the, the age you have. So, and I will encourage you, please, if you are in stage of your life where your sons and daughters are out of your house already, pick a young man and help him. It doesn't necessarily mean he has to be fatherless. But we all should be discipling. And there's three levels of men that we should have in our lives. Somebody that's on top of us, that knows a lot more than us. Somebody that's on the same level as us. And somebody that we can disciple ourselves. If you are missing one of those, like I've I had in, in most of my life, which I know there's a lot of men here who are missing that too, look for it. Ask for it. Look for accountability partners. Look for discipleship. Disciple yourself. Not only your kids. That's a given. But take responsibility for another man. To become a father, you need a father. Second stuff, second, second part of what this being a summary, because I went through all of this a little faster than I would have liked, is what we're missing as men. And the joke that I told in the, in the beginning that you didn't hear, Eric, it's uh, gravitas. One of those aspects of false gravitas is a man who can't take a joke, who can take a joke that we have certain saying in the island for people like that that doesn't translate well. But certainly you can see those men and they can trick you into thinking that he has gravitas. But you know him for a month. You know this guy is whole of a sap. So what is gravitas? When, you go, when people tell you to grow up, it equals get gravitas. A virtue referring to a man's seriousness, dignity, and weight. And man of substance who leaves an impression like a rock leaves an impression on earth. Have you met a man like this in your life? Yes? Have we all met a man where you look at him and you say, there's something different about this man? Coming 
talking with my wife on our road here. My, my way here is very long. It's 45 minutes driving. So we have a lot of time to talk about stuff. And uh, we were, uh, there's, this is a conversation that we had multiple times. I don't know if this was the case here, but when I was growing up, I can remember all adults being jerks that were close to me, or the majority of them. My, my dad was not like that. He was, he was certainly more, more he, he liked to be with us, he played with us. But growing up, the father of my friends, the, their parents, ten, tended to be very self-serious. It was a very strange thing, and I think what's happening now is the complete opposite of the spectrum, where this type of men, their sons and daughters hated them, and they became the complete opposite, which is gay men. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody has a better example for that? Because certainly the other side of the spectrum has become this, I will become my children's friend. Right? So, this type of men, it is a balance. It's not self-seriousness to the point where you can't take a joke. But it's certainly something that it is a problem because it can be bestowed. It has to be recognized. Somebody has to say, you have gravitas. Have you heard someone say, I am very humble? <laughs> have you heard that? <laughs> I don't believe that, Eric. <laughs> so what do you think about this people that call, they call themselves? Humble. What is the first thing that comes into your mind? I can tell you what I think. <laughs> You're full of it. Because <laughs> the first thing, one of the things that I, the conversation that I have with my, my with my Juliet, knowing the sins of your, of your children is very important, or the inclinations. She likes to be beautiful. She likes to be called beautiful. So when she says, comes to me, look how beautiful I am, I stop that. That is something that has to be taught, told to you. You don't tell it about yourself. If not, it will come out as, oh, I am very humble. Excluding you from being humble. <laughs> so gravitas is basically the same thing. You cannot say, I have a man, I am a man with gravitas. When in reality, that just says that you're the opposite. You're just playing a card that doesn't belong to you. It's like asking for respect, right? And what is gravitas, to put it on a biblical manner? It is the fruits of imaging God. Hope I said that right. So, some characteristics of a man with gravitas. He fears the Lord by, and I put that in a parenthesis. It was better to have it here, but I have to now read parenthesis. He fears the Lord. He gives and receives instruction and rebuke. There's no worse man than a man that is unteachable. If you have come across this man, you know that talking to him is worthless and it's, it's a waste of time when you meet someone that knows it all. Well, you know he doesn't. He hates... What's that? <laughs> he hates evil, especially pride arrogance, and perverted speech. Perverted speech is a very interesting one because 
there's uh, we've moved out of the offices, and we don't have we have we are now working within our families. At least I am for almost more than two years now, and it's been a blessing, at least for me, to be with my family and working in the same place. But certainly, it is more of a thing when you go to an office. Perverted speech has a way of just introducing into yourself, and you just don't notice it. But if you notice it, you say, ah, this is probably just at work, which creates this two-kingdom mentality that the, the, your work or your office is not the extension of the kingdom. So, perverted speech, arrogance, arrogance, pride, and he hates evil. He is content to be made low because he understands how he compares to God. Every Calvinist here should say amen. Because we understand that we are not saved by anything we've done, but what God just decided in his grace and mercy to save us, right? So we have no problem saying we're low. Because our Father in heaven took a look at us and saved us. The God of the mountain, which is something that I like to use in my prayers, the God of the mountain went down and picked us up. We are nothing without Him. So, we have no problem with that, to be content. And we trust the Lord. A roadmap, moving a little bit quick. Time is creeping in. Men are to be holy, are to have wisdom. And what is wisdom? Know and act Accordingly, a metaphor or just a story that I was talking to my wife in those 45 minutes. Um, it's, uh, we were talking about Puerto Rico rivers. And in the island, a lot of people die on, on a probably a yearly basis on rivers. So we have rivers. We don't have natural lakes like you guys have here. Um, so there's a lot of, usually they're foreigners, Americans, Europeans come, and they don't understand that when it rains, you don't go into a river. And she was telling me, but I do know someone who died, and he was uh, magna cum laude at school. And I said, I'm going to use this this Sunday school. Because, you see, being smart doesn't grant you any wisdom. Wisdom is a completely different thing. Anybody who dies on a river in Puerto Rico probably wasn't very wise. Why? Because you all know, and now you know if you don't know, is that if it rains or if it's raining, you don't go to a river. Ever. Also, I used to do cliff jumping with my friends. And one of the things we did was wait for somebody else to do it. (laughs) Especially for a local that's wisdom. You wait. You're patient. I'm not going to survey the river for them. Somebody who knows the area will know better than me. So, n- wisdom is not being smart. And what is wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Know and act accordingly. Next to wisdom, which is something we've been... Uh, interesting enough, last Wednesday we were... Uh, we, were, we are meeting for, with a group of men from Perseville, and uh, we were in this part of the book. So wisdom produces, 
take that into worksmanship, which is wisdom put into action. Develop your abilities. God has bestowed upon you to exercise dominion. Glorify God with your hands. I'm a software developer. It is very hard for me or for us to see us as working with our hands. But in reality, everything that I do, it is peer-reviewed by somebody. And they will know if my what I did is quality work or not. Because I've seen quality work and I've seen crappy work. And worksmanship goes to strength. Assert rather than retire what we are doing as the church. I'm not talking particularly about the OPC, Presbyterian Church. I'm not saying that. But it's a general true that truth that it's happening in our society. We should conquer rather than surrender. For example, I like movies. Christian are retreating from that arena. There's an effort to take Hollywood, I would say. But certainly, most Christians that I know in Presbyterian circles see anything about movies or Hollywood as bad. And they don't care if something, if, if we should be retaking this fear. It's very interesting because every time, this is a running joke that I have with some other brothers. Every time somebody recommends me a movie in this church, it's from the 50s. I am tired of it. I, I have, I'm not going to watch it just because I made a statement. I'm not going to watch it. Like you gotta, please, there's certainly new movies that are good too. We should not be abandoning any sphere. Do and dare penetrate and divide, overcome and shape, prevail and subdue. And now, the mission. We see a lot of young men have no mission whatsoever. And they want a wife, but they sit all day building in Minecraft or whatever they're doing. I love playing video games. I'm not dissing anybody who does. I don't do it as much as I used to because I have responsibilities. I had to get out. Um, but certainly, there is missionless men amok, and within the church even more. What happened there? It is a question every father should be asking about their kids. Why is he headless, like waiting for something to happen? I have brothers in Christ, unmarried, that are just sitting at home waiting for their spouse to come out of the door. I'm here to marry you, Prince Charming. That's not how it works. False claims. So integrating your interest, what is it that you are good at? Skills, circumstances into a personal vision for accessing dominion over what God has given you. And one thing I would add from a documentary we recently saw with the other man was keep at it for a period of time. Probably you won't like it in a year, two years, three years. I've been doing programming for 10 years. I'm not going to say I love it, but I'm certainly being prosper in it. And I'm not the worst at it, but I keep striving to be better at it. So you take all that 
and you push forward, dominating in all of the areas, looking for help, creating network. One thing that I've learned in my, and I know this is true with every, every aspect of life, it's not so much as you, how much you know, but how many people you know that know. So false claims about the mission. Mission should be spiritual. In that sense is not everybody's called to be a pastor. And we shouldn't all be pastors in a church. You should be pastor as your home. Certainly, you're called to that. But the mission doesn't have to be, oh, I have to be a pastor of a church for me to be able to advance the kingdom. That's false. The mission has to be epic. False, too. I certainly don't consider mine in an epic. Uh, at least for me, it's epic. Because I am. I want the Brignonis to be a Christian family starting at least from me onward with my sister. And we're trying to do that. We're, we're thinking outright, this is not for us. This is not for my kids even. This is not for my grandchildren. This is for my great, great, great grandchild. Great uh, grandchildren. I am working towards that end. Possibly, I won't see the fruits. But it's the epicness in my mind of pushing through whatever I have for the sake of of the kingdom, and possibly I won't see anything of it. Or possibly I will see very small amounts of it. But I would keep doing it for them. Third, the mission needs a detailed map. And this is, I I have become, I've been here. I am a man who likes a detailed, step-by-step process of things. That's not how life works. It is not. We sometimes have an incomplete map, and we build as we continue. You certainly have an idea where you want to go, where you want to be, and you should have. But in the end, you won't have the end of it. And certain things are going to change and split, and a lot of things are not going to work the way you want it to work. But you push forward, you find the biblical way of doing it. And moving on, what men need in this day and age is fraternity. I've met good friends through all my life, but I've never had better friends than Christian friends. Especially here, they have pushed me to have more kids, to love my family more, to understand what is really the importance of the mission, what is the kingdom, what God expects of me. Because I certainly can have the theory but when you see it in another family, it's another thing. Like, I consider myself, when I came here, there's something happening that couples, even church, are not having kids. So I was one of the, oh, I, I have a daughter. And I'm in my, third, I'm in my 20s, 29. That's, that's I'm doing a lot. When I came here, I saw that Andrew has five kids. I was way behind. And now, start... Uh, Guilt starts creeping in. I need to do better. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a bad guilt. And guilt is a bad word to use here. It's just, he's pushing me. Families, good friends are just pushing me to be better. So, fraternity, certainly important. Sexual polarity is what formed the strong bonds of marriage. Us being different. But sexual homogeneity is what forms strong bonds of friendship. And evil patriarchy 
succeeds when men are pacified and isolated from each other. One of the things that I've heard about uh, why churches are scared of the word patriarch is that this man becomes such a pastor that he surrounds his family and separates them. He doesn't communicate with others. It's not really a church. It's just this man and this man and this man. And it happens to be that on Sundays we worship together. So again, out of time. And marriage. Nothing multiplies the mission like a good wife. and Nothing consumes one like a bad one. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But the wife is not the mission. The wife complements the mission. You should, and this is a general truth, I'm not saying it doesn't happen this way. It, sh- it should be, you have a mission before you marry. You have to have a clear view of where you want to go in life. And just to end, because I, uh, I ran out of time, just some quotes to finish this. The state of your life might not be entirely your fault, your fault, but it's entirely your responsibility. That's what it means to be given. That's what it means to be given dominion. And it is good to be a husband, but it's good to be a man first. And I added this that I didn't have because I forgot to add it to the last presentation. And with this, I will end. This is a quote from J.K. G.K. Chesterton is it. it says, you cannot love a thing without wanting to fight for it. You cannot fight without something to fight for. To love a thing without wishing to fight for it is not love at all. It is lust. It may be an airy, philosophical, philosophical and disinterested lust. It may be, so to speak, a virgin lust, but it is lust. Because it is wholly self-indulgent and invites no attack. On the other hand, fighting for a thing without loving it, it is not even fighting. It can only be called a kind of a horseplay that is occasionally fatal. Fighting, it's innate to man. In the right spheres and the way, the right way to do it. It's not a bad thing. It's part of being... Masculine is part of being a man. Fight for what we love, which in this case is our families, our church, and everything God has appointed us to. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the morning you have given us where we can study things we may have lost, that have become eroded, that have become hot topics when in reality it's just nature you have given us. Help us be good men. Help the women be good wives. Help us be good husbands and good fathers. Help us disciple. Take dominion over the things you have given us to. Be with us in our worship service, Lord. May our worship be good for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.